Welcome to the Waiting Warriors podcast. As loved ones of first responders and military personnel, we often face life situations and challenges that many others don't experience. And while each of us and our experiences are unique, together we can learn from one another and become stronger in this journey of life. Now let's step out of mediocrity. It's time to thrive. Hey guys, welcome to another week on the Waiting Warriors podcast. This week is actually the first of a little campaign for September. Um, September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, for those of you who don't know. So please do not turn off the episode. Please be willing to listen. I know this topic is hard. I know I'm going to get choked up a whole bunch. I'm sure our guests today will get choked up a whole bunch, our guests throughout the week. Um, it's a hard subject, but until we are willing to talk about it and willing to listen to it, then I don't think things are going to get any better. Um, and I, I don't think it's hard, uh, to understand why this is so important for really everybody but particularly our community. And let me kind of tell you why. So I found a, the most recent study done by the DOD. Um, it was for what happened in 2018. And I, I hope another one is coming for what happened in 2019. But um, here are this, just some stats. So, and again, this was done by the DOD. In 2018, 541 soldiers in the active and reserve components of the military died by suicide. That means that within the active component, the suicide rate was 24.8 people per 100,000 personnel. So that means at an army base like what I'm stationed at right now at Fort Campbell, it's not the biggest, but it's not the smallest. That's around six to seven soldiers at our base each year. And I personally already know two. And honestly, even just one is too many. So in the service, uh, in the reserves, the suicide rate in 2018 was 22.9 suicides per 100,000 personnel. And in the National Guard, the suicide rate was 30.6 per 100,000. Elizabeth Van Winkle, who's the DOD's Executive Director of Force Resilience, was quoted by saying that the statistics in the active component have been increasing and the populations of death by suicide in the military and have been um, much younger and has much more men compared to similar populations in civilians. Um, this study also cleared up a few misconceptions, though, about suicide, particularly with the military that people hold is that um, it showed that being deployed, including the length of deployment, combat, and number of deployments, is not associated with the risk of a service member, and the majority of service members who died by suicide had not been diagnosed with a mental illness. Both of those things could mean anything, but just something to think about. Um, in that same study with military spouses and dependents, there were a hundred and 86, and that is 11.5 people per 100,000. Um, 
it's just too many. There was another study for those of um, the listeners in law enforcement and um, first responders. Study the most recent one I could find that was um, credible in 2017, done by the Ruderman Family Foundation. Police officers and firefighters are more likely to die by suicide than in the line of duty. And while the nation the national rate for suicide was 13 out of 100,000, which again is just too high, no matter what group we're talking about. Um, the rate out of police officers is 17 out of 100,000, and um, firefighters was 18 out of 100,000. I just feel like the silence is literally killing our community and the lack of attention to the problem, the lack of understanding. Um, and the problem areas in our culture, although I, I wholeheartedly believe our culture is awesome and amazing and doing wonderful things, but um, th this problem is literally killing our community. So today, with all of that being said, I have Katie Poston, a military wife with six kids, um, and she is currently the chairman for the first, but it's like an acronym, F-I-R-S-T, Spouse Mentorship Program, which is designed to help spouses thrive in the special operations lifestyle. We have her here to talk about her experience and story. So welcome so much. Welcome so much to the show. You know what I mean, though. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about this topic that's so important and close to my heart. Yeah. So let's just kind of get into it. Let's, um, would you mind just kind of telling us your story about military, um, military wife life and why, why suicide awareness kind of means so much to you? So as a military wife, um, my husband and I have been married first of all for, um, 14 years and he just had his 20 year anniversary with the army. So that's exciting. Um, but with that comes, thank you. Um, with that comes a whole lot of ups and downs, um, a whole lot of times where he's gone and I'm left to juggle all the things and that's stressful. So I've personally dealt with, um, you know, like depression, how I get through that when I don't have a support partner with me to kind of lift me up or pick up slack, um, where I'm needing it. And I also have gone through postpartum depression um, that I actually didn't even recognize in myself um, immediately. It was took my husband from across the world over our phone calls, noticing that there was something wrong and had to have a call to action. Um, it's so as much as I love being a military wife and being in this community, it's definitely brought challenges that um, over the years I've had to figure out how to cope and get through those things. Mm -hmm. Um, as for suicide, um, it was in 2014 where I had my first, um, personal encounter with it where I lost my dad. Um, today is actually the anniversary of losing him. So six years ago today, I lost my dad. Um, at the time I was in Hawaii, living in Hawaii. My dad was, um, living back in North Dakota. And my husband was 
somewhere in the world. I think he was in Papua New Guinea at the time and totally unreachable. Like, I mean, I couldn't call him. He, I had to wait for him to turn on his phone and him call me is the way that communication worked for that trip. Uh, um, I got a phone call in the middle of the night because the time difference from my sister telling me that my dad had died. And for me, I had absolutely no idea <clears throat> that this was something that could even happen with my dad. For me, I still was that little girl looking up to her big, strong dad who could take on the world and handle anything. Um, so I was shocked by that news, as I think anyone is really, even if you know that somebody's struggling. That news is never, doesn't come without surprise and shock and um, just kind of disbelief at, at, at the beginning. Um, so ever since then, and losing my dad, um, one, I learned just how, how deep that cuts to have that kind of loss. And two, I learned how important it is to have your community around you to lift you up and support you when you're going through something devastating like that. Since then, um, we've lost two close friends to suicide that were, um, in the military, both of them active duty at the time. Um, and that was, that was very devastating as well. It's, um, again, both of them were a surprise to my husband and I, and, <clears throat> It just has you feeling like, gosh, why didn't I see? What could I have done? And what I've learned is, first of all, hindsight is twenty twenty, And second of all, it's so important to look around you with a new lens once you have that information and go, the people that are really struggling are probably not showing you that. Look for their little signs. And even if you don't see a sign, do the things to to reach out, right? Like, be the light. I mean, like that's so it's, it's kind of becoming a little bit cliche to say, but I truly, truly believe how important that is. Like be so bright on the inside that it spreads out and other people see it and they can't help but to smile by seeing just who you are in the world and, and letting other people know that they're just as needed. They might not see it right now because they're in their dark time, but be the light for them in their dark time. Mm -hmm. So is it, <sighs> sorry, it's just hard. How have you found ways to be the light when you are struggling? Um, Cause like this life is hard and I know it's so easy to look inward, right? Especially like you have six kids, you have six kids, yeah, yeah. husband's gone all the time. And that is a lot. And it's so and not even like inward, but just like into your nuclear family, right? Like you have to take care of yeah. these kids and it's so easy to get caught up. And that, that's kind of like where I sometimes feel myself getting stuck of, but, but then I hear stories like this and people like you saying, like, you just have to be the light for other people. You don't have to solve other problems, but just be the light. Like, how have you been able to be that light when? so much is going on for you. So it looks different for me, depending on where I'm at in my life, what I have going on from year to year to month to month to day to day on what I can personally do. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just a few weeks after my dad passed away that I 
new. And I had my youngest at that time was, I think, three months old. Um, And she was, so I had four children at the time. And I knew that I needed to do something to productively keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to hide my grief from my children because I do think it's important that children see what grief looks like and that I lost my dad and that hurts. That's real. Like it was okay for them to see me crying and missing my dad. That was, that was real emotions. Um, but also I wanted them to see me pick myself up and continue to move forward as I healed. So, um, I knew that, and I was living in Hawaii at the time. I knew that being out in nature for me was a really good source of healing and just emotional release. So that was something I could do with my children. So we went out and we hiked. And then I decided that I wanted to see if there were other parents on the island that wanted to hike with their children so that we could kind of go as a group and discover new trails and, you know, safety and numbers kind of thing. Well, that turned into a rather large adventure. Um, the group is called Hiking with Keiki. So if you're in Hawaii, please look it up. It's an amazing group. Um, it's, it's grown to thousands and thousands of members where we have many, many volunteers that lead different, um, groups of hikes every week. And for me, that was how one, I healed and two, I spoke my story to those people in that group. And I can't even tell you the number of people that reached out to me saying, this is also my outlet for my personal struggles or because I lost somebody close to me. This is how I'm healing it, you know, and listening to your story has opened my eyes to this. So that was my first step into kind of um, awareness and prevention for others, because those people that were out there on the trails were getting themselves mentally healthy, mentally in the right place. I was doing that for myself at the same time. Um, one year after my dad passed and one year after the group was formed, we had a, um, organized, uh, a fundraiser called hike for hope where we, uh, benefited the American foundation for suicide prevention. Awesome. So that was an amazing event where we, it was an evening event in, um, in the Valley on the North shore. And the, the trail was lit up by candlelit bags and, they were literally walking, you know, through the darkness, but lit up by all of these people coming together to spread the word, spread awareness and um, let people know that there is hope. Mm-hmm. So outside of that, those are, you know, like those are kind of big steps. Right. But also data, I talk my, I speak my story all the time. I am not afraid to tell you that I lost my dad to suicide. It hurts. I'm not afraid to tell people it's messy sometimes, you know, there'll be, there'll be times where I'm, everything's fine. I'm laughing. Everything's great. And a song will come on and I will be a puddle. I, and, and maybe it takes me three days to get out of that. I'll be a fog. You know, it's just, there are, that's the thing about grief is it goes up and it goes down and you can't predict when, when that's going to happen. Um, it takes the wind right out of your sail. When that happens, you just, you lose everything, but then you keep moving forward and say, okay, I'm on a mission to spread the word. The funny thing about that is though, that right after my dad died, um, I was so, I don't want anybody to know that my dad died by suicide. I didn't ever, I didn't speak about that. It didn't, you know, I don't even remember how long this lasted, but it wasn't because I was ashamed that he died by suicide. It was because I was so scared. That's what 
who he would become. That's how people, especially people that didn't know him and heard that he had died. You know, my dad died by suicide. That's all they would know about him. My dad was not mental illness. He was not depression. He was not suicide. He was my dad. He was a husband. He was a grandpa. He was the guy I called when I was scared. Even though I was grown up and married, if I was scared or nervous or had a, you know, he was the guy. So to me, that was something that really screamed stigma, right? Like I didn't want people to know who he was because of the stigma of suicide, that this was something that happened to my dad. It wasn't who my dad was. So I felt like it was so important to change that for people. Yeah. That's Um, beautiful. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, I struggle staying beautiful with what we're talking about, but like, that is, that is a really hard thing when we're coping, but that is like, that's just a, a messy part of the stigma that's attached to it. And I love that you, that you're voicing that, that, that it's so important for us to remember that these people are still people. It's just something that happened to them. That I love that. Yes. And what I love too is like it, I feel like it also, um, helps with the stigma that like, that getting help when you are having these feelings and having these struggles, that that's weakness. You know what I mean? Like, yes. What What are your thoughts on that? So <clears throat> I actually have a couple of statistics on that, that I, I didn't know until I was looking into it. And I was really, I want to say surprised, but maybe just only a little bit surprised, especially. So my, my biggest experiences is being in the military community, right? So I'm seeing, I see people that struggle. Um, my dad wasn't military affiliated. So he, you know, as my, but I didn't go through his struggle prior. I, he shielded me from that. So when I say like my experiences, it's more of on the military side and seeing, you know, who does what and how they struggle and how it's handled. But this statistic actually isn't just for military. It's for all Americans. But so only half of Americans, excuse me, experiencing major depression receive treatment. So that's not super shocking to me. Um, that, you know, it's like we have the stigma. <clears throat> People have a certain feeling about mental illness, about asking for help, all of those things. But what is what I did find very surprising that I feel like we really need to spread this word, scream it from the rooftops, because this is what's important about that. Studies show that 80 to 90 percent of people who seek treatment find success with therapy and or medication. So that means that if we just took that step to say, I need help. Those numbers of suicide are, and a suicide attempts are going to drop. It's, yeah. you know, it's right there in the numbers. So it's just a matter of telling people it's okay to ask for help. I struggle with this on a personal level, like even having six kids and a husband that's gone all the time. Yeah. I hate asking for help. It's hard for me. It's something that I actively have to work on accepting mm-hmm. people, accepting people's help. Um, I love to give of myself. I love to help other people. And I have to remember that these people are trying to love me and support me and I need to let them do that. And even if it's not somebody offering, I need to ask if I actually need it. And that's just, that goes in 
that goes in every aspect of life, whether it's you need help with your, with what's going on with schooling this year. You know, you need, you need help with that, or you need help with going to pick up the groceries because your, your spouse is gone and it's just one too many things right now, or you have a sick kid at home, or you are going through some anxiety or some depression or, or anything like that. And you need to just say, take the first step. I need help. Talk to your doctor call, you know, if it's, if it's serious and you're having suicidal ideations, call the hotline, you know, though we just need to take that step. I would say that the stigmas of, you know, if you, it's weakness and you need to just toughen up if, you know, if you're asking for help or you're, you're feeling anxious or any type of um, mental illness, you just, it's a sign of weakness. I feel like in the military community, we're built on being tough and strong, impenetrable, you know, all of those things where it's like, we are, we are the best and we are, we are so tough. That doesn't mean that we don't need help. Like mm-hmm. when you're getting strong and, and you're continuing to, to keep up your physical health, you're going to the gym to do that. In order to stay mentally healthy, you need to actively work on that. And if you're having an issue, just like you would in the gym, you'd call a trainer. If you're having an issue with your mental health, call somebody to help you. Oh, I love that analogy metaphor because that is that like speaks right into our community, right? Like everyone yes. knows if you're like you need to up your PT. You can't just do it once, you know, decide that you're happy, decide that you're gonna be strong, and then you are strong. It's like no, it's a daily yes. thing, you know? Like we spend how much time yes. like my husband leaves really early in the morning and PTs for a long time so he can have that strength. And yet what are we doing for the mental? I love that. Exactly. It's a it's definitely a lifestyle and it's a journey and it's never ending. It's not just you do it once and you're, and you're good. It's, this is a continual thing. Yeah. Well, and like, I, I get why people see it as a sign of weakness. Cause honestly I did too, for a long time, like within myself and I, I still kind of struggle, but I think the thing that has helped me the most is just this idea that I've heard from a few different podcasts and books of like, we're not robots. We are people. Yeah. We are humans. We are designed to have positive and negative thoughts and feelings. And, you know, like those negative feelings are part of our humanity and we're not going to be able to just wish them away. And I don't think everybody has all the tools to properly cope with them. You know, like, you know, just like what you said, like you have to go get help from the trainer when you don't know how to get the certain result physically. Like, and yet we expect ourselves to just have all of this holy knowledge on how to keep our mental health perfect. Like it just doesn't exactly totally add up. I agree 100%. So what, what can we do? What can we do as, um, I mean, mainly spouses, that's the main audience. Like what can we do as spouses when we're seeing like, this is clearly a problem in our communities. Do we just, I don't know. So there's a couple of things that I would say are important is first of all, we need to change the tone of, of how we view 
mental illness, how we view getting help. Part of that is by choosing our words wisely. There are certain things that we say that, and I used to prior to um, looking into this more, and, and there are times where I still you know, slip up. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm definitely not, but it is important to be conscious of the words that you choose when you're speaking about suicide. For instance, I noticed in the beginning, when you were talking about the statistics, you of suicide, you had said that, you know, the amount of people that died by suicide, as opposed to saying the people that committed suicide, Mm -hmm. committed suicide is something that is very stigmatizing. Um, it really puts a negative, um, connotation on the person who died by suicide. It makes them sound like they're a bad person doing something bad. That's the way we refer to people that are, you know, um, performing, cr- you know, crimes like, yeah. uh, com- you committed robbery, a committed a felony, things like that. Like committed suicide is something that just continues on with that same negative feeling. Um, so just saying, just, just switching that out at itself died by suicide. And I know it's not natural. I mean, I feel like that's just the common phrase that we've, we've always heard is committed suicide and it doesn't seem like a big deal, but truly those little steps add up in making a difference on the tone of how we talk about suicide. Mm -hmm. Another thing is using words like crazy, insane, nuts, even when you're not using them in a negative way, like, Oh, you know, that beach day was crazy. Awesome. Or like, you know, something's blowing your mind. You're saying it's insane. Like you're not trying to sound negative, but when we use those words that truly are talking about mental illness in a negative light, like if you're call, if you were to call somebody crazy, that's not a nice thing to say. Like, and you really meant it. Or if you're calling somebody insane, that's not nice. So when we're using that just in our day-to-day, um, life, it's, it's just adding to the stigma there. So choosing your words wisely there. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that using the R word in our sentences was socially acceptable. Then we've all learned how negative that is, how inappropriate it is, how wrong that is, and how it's making fun of people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. This is along the same line. You know, you, you don't call out people that have mental illnesses and use it in a different way. Just the same as, you know, when people would use the word gay. I remember growing up in high school and that, you know, you'd get called that word as a negative thing when really what you are doing is hurting that population. So I think that's a huge step that we can all take. That's an easy fix. You know, it just takes a little bit of like thinking and, and reminding, and it's okay if you slip up, just, you know, keep trying to do better. That's the thing about all of this is just one step at a time, taking baby steps and trying to do better. Talking about, talking about suicide, like you said at the beginning, it's hard to talk about, Mm-hmm. it's not fun to listen to, but it's important and we all need to do that. So, you know, share some more things on Facebook, whether it's positive memes that you're putting up or, um, you know, some various links where you're finding good information on how you can get help or, or even say, you know, if you're willing, Hey, if anybody needs help, I'm here. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're the person that's going to solve their problems. It means you can be the link. So, you know, someone reaches out to you and says, I'm really struggling right now. And you can say, I'm sorry, let me, let's find you the help that you need, you know, and, and within the military world, right? Like that means here, here is the, if you have an MFLAC with your community, here's the MFLAC, here's the social work that's within social worker that's within our unit. Here's a psychologist, you know, all of those things. 
Um, or maybe it's a drive to the hospital, depending on how serious it is. Or maybe it's you calling that, that suicide hotline yourself. Like mm-hmm. th- these are all things to show that I am okay with you saying that you have something going on. Um, so don't be afraid. Yeah. And I just have to add, just because it is my husband's job, there is a chaplain. Like that's just another person that should be, you know, you or, or your soldiers, or if you, you know, you should have that number. Absolutely. And they know how to talk to that person. They know who to help, you know, they're another person who will know if you don't know the numbers, they'll know the numbers type of a thing. Yes. Um, But I love that just like being willing to stay with somebody to get them the help is so important. Um, I guess anything else or are those kind of like, I mean, those are easy things that we can do. That's what I left. Like we don't, we don't have to recognize looking for hope. Although that sounds like really amazing. That honestly does. Right. Yeah. You can do big things. Like if that's, if that's your thing and you love organizing things and hosting benefits and stuff like that, I I do enjoy that. Like I do enjoy doing those things. Mm -hmm. Um, that's great, but that does not take away from the smaller steps. Also, what I want to say is I think that, um, getting our kids involved in this conversation, obviously age appropriate, right? But even if it's not even going directly to suicide, it's just going to, um, it's going to be no more of the conversation of being the light for others. So for instance, in my family, um, on the anniversary of losing my dad, some years are really hard and I lay in bed all day long. Some years, um, we do really, uh, we do really amazing things. And so like, for instance, we've had years where we went and spread, um, flower, we put flowers on people's cars and little notes mm-hmm. and, um, and just like a little nice message to random people that we don't know, you know, saying you are important, you know, you are here and, and then, um, left them something special. And we brought mm-hmm. coffee and tree, um, and treats up to, um, the, um, psychiatric department at the hospital, things like that. Or we brought, we brought food to homeless one year, um, you know, people that were living out in the parks and we, and we brought them bags of lunches and things like that. So, you know, showing your kids actively doing these things with your children and showing this is how I can make a difference in the world. This is how I can lift, you know, people's spirits and, you know, doing it in the, and if you've lost someone doing it in honor of somebody that you've lost. So a lot of times when we put, you know, those messages I've, you know, I've said in loving memory of Mark Wilkin, um, it was my dad and things like that, where it's like, I feel like I'm actively doing something. I can never, ever, ever get my dad back. And as much as I wish that there was something I could do or have changed something prior to him leaving, um, to make that be, you know, him have a different choice. I can't, but what I can do is live my life with purpose spread my message and try to change the world for the better so that we're seeing less and less of this devastating epidemic. Yeah. And I will add, like, as you were talking about the things that you've done with your kids, I think it's super awesome and so important that you, even just that, like you have let your kids see you grieve. How often as military spouses in particular, I know parents and all, but military spouses in particular, we want to shield our kids from um, just the hurts that we feel with 
you know, being sad about a deployment and that, you know, your husband is gone and you don't want, you want to be strong for the kids and you don't want to, um, let them see you cry or you don't want them to see that you're frustrated that things have changed 20 million times already. And, you know, you're supposed to move in three days and you don't know if the movers are there, but you've got to stay strong and you've got to stay level-headed and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, what if we just showed our kids, like you have that, like these feelings happen, but also Mm -hmm. you have that there, there is a way to cope and to process them. And there is a way to get through those feelings instead of putting on this perception that these feelings shouldn't be like that is, I, I think it's absolutely incredible that you have done that for your kids. And I know that that will just benefit them forever. Yeah. I thank you for saying that. I, it is a hard, it is a hard balance. I won't lie. Cause I do the same thing, right. When, mm-hmm. when deployments are happening and it's the build up, and it's like, you know, the kids are sad. And so I'm trying to be strong so they can feed off of my strength of, okay, we got this. But also when it is actually goodbye time, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to cry. I'm sad. I'm not going to see him. And obviously, you know, and, and it's scary, you know? And so it's a balance of, you know, trying to still be the parent and show them that we can get through this, even though it's tough and showing them the real, the real things. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want my kids to grow up thinking that you can never have an emotion. Or if you do, I, I think that's, you know, also adds to the stigmatizing problem. If we do have emotions, if we do fall apart, if we get angry, upset, nervous, any of this stuff, it, you know, it's, it's out of the norm because mom and dad always handled it with, with none of that. When it's like, no, you know, they were probably running to their room and having their, their quiet time crying or whatever it was. But I do think that the key to that is absolutely showing them that while you're having these issues and while you're having these emotions, you find what works for you to pull yourself out of that and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just need to have some more conversations about emotions instead of I don't know, just shielding them, which I know as a parent, which I just want to shield my babies and keep them in the whole place that they are at the ages that they are. But, you know, how much are we not setting them up for success when we do that? I don't know. It's like an endless debate, like you said. Um, Yeah. But so what's, what is your key to thriving through all of this that you want to share with your fellow waiting warriors? I 100% believe that the most important tool that you can have as a spouse is finding your tribe. That's Mm -hmm. not always easy, especially if you're moving around often. Um, But when you need it, your husband may not be there or your wife um, or your family will probably not be there. Whatever it is that's going on for me, it was getting the phone call that I lost my dad and my husband was gone and unreachable. I had only actually lived in Hawaii for less than six months at that time. So I had a very, very small tribe there, but finding those people that you can call no matter what the emergency is or situation, big or small and accept help and ask for help. Because that is truly what's going to make or break you in being successful, just getting through life and the day to day. Um, you can't get through this world, no matter how tough you are. Your success is 
not likely if you're just trying to go through and only depend on yourself or only depend on your children or your spouse that is in and out. You have to have those people around you. So, so put yourself out there. I know it's scary to do that, but put yourself out there, make connections, go to functions, you know, when, when we're allowed to get back out and do things like that. Um, Never that or, or, you yeah, I know. Or, you know, just some of like the virtual things or however it is from your churches or wherever you feel comfortable finding people. Um, and I wouldn't say that you need to have a, you know, a big crowd around you. I'm the type of person that I love being around people and, and socializing, but as far as letting people like truly in and seeing my struggle and my pain and all of that, I have a very small group of people that I surround that I surround myself with, but that's really all you need. You just need a couple of really great people that, you know, can, you can pick up the phone anytime. Yeah, totally agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Honestly, I, one, I'm, I'm really honored that you would share your story because I know that's so hard and that you let us honor your dad today of all days, um, in talking about it, but also just like you, you gave us some really actionable things that we can do that I would really hope and pray that all the listeners will actually do so we can really move the needle on this issue in a positive direction for our community. Um, if someone wants to contact you and kind of just either just say thank you, or if they have any questions or something, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook and, um, uh, Katie Poston, or also I am on Instagram at, um, the eight Postons. Awesome. Thank you again so much, guys. Please reach out. Say thank you. It is not an easy thing to one, come on a podcast two share something so deep and vulnerable. And I know that this is just some really good takeaways. So thank you again so much. And guys, have a great week. And just remember, just because it is hard doesn't mean it has to be miserable. Thanks, guys. I really want to thank you for being here. I know how precious and important your time is. You don't have a lot of it. And I'm extremely grateful that you're spending your time here with us, the Waiting Warriors. I know that being a Waiting Warrior can be super isolating and lonely. So I hope you are feeling loved and supported as well. And I need to ask just one more thing. Can you share this podcast? I'm a firm believer that sharing is caring. So if you know another military or first responder loved ones, please share the podcast. The Waiting Warriors is a valuable resource and I really appreciate your help simply spreading the news. So if you could text an episode to a friend or just simply screenshot and share it on social media, it would honestly mean so much. So go do that and have a great week, guys.